0: just as we need physical fitness and you're so mm-hmm. but physical fitness for the physical core. We all need spiritual fitness or engagement for the spiritual core. One third innate. We're innately spiritual beings, but we've got to practice. We've got to give this language. We've got to, whether it's meditation or prayer service, right action, how we know and live in the world, all of these ways of being shape the spiritual core. Once we're adults, when we're kids, What shapes it very often is our parents and grandparents. But once we're, you know, out of the house, how we shape the spiritual core is an opportunity, an invitation, perhaps even a responsibility on our own part.
1: Hello, and welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm Dr. Julie Fouché, family physician and former CrossFit Games athlete. Here, I bring you information and inspiration to help bridge the gap between fitness and medicine And support your journey toward your healthiest self thank you so much for joining me now let's get started with this week's episode well welcome back to pursuing health i'm so excited to have a guest on today who is dr lisa miller so a little bit of background on her before we dive in she's a professor and founder of the spirituality mind body institute at teachers college columbia university she is a graduate of Yale and the University of Pennsylvania and is a leading national expert on spirituality, health, and thriving in development. She's authored over a hundred reviewed articles on spirituality and mental health in youth and family. She's a grant-funded clinical scientist, a fellow of the American Psychological Association, and former president of the APA Society of Psychology and Spirituality, editor of the Oxford University Press Handbook of Psychology and Spirituality, and editor-in-chief of spirituality and clinical practice. She consults, conducts workshops and trainings, and speaks extensively in the United States and internationally on the topic. So welcome, Dr. Lisa Miller. I'm so excited to be sitting down with you today.
0: So Julie, I'm thrilled to be here. And in particular, I'm so grateful that you lead this podcast because you embody and walk the walk of whole fitness and wellness. So it's a particular joy to be here. Thank you.
1: Well, thank you. And I'm I'm excited for this conversation because I think I've probably alluded to and danced around the topic of spirituality in prior episodes where we've touched on it with different guests, but it's never been as front and center as I know it's going to be today. So I'm very excited to talk about your research and the science of spirituality and some of the things that you're doing now to apply what you've learned. So I think, you know, when we, when we hear the word spirituality, a lot of people first think religion. And then that obviously comes with a lot of baggage but it also is is something that can be perceived as not compatible with hard science or something that's a little bit woo-woo or out there. And so you not only are really bringing the rigor of science to this topic, um, but also helping to define and identify what it is that's separate from religion. So maybe we can just start there of how, how do you define spirituality and religion? How are they distinct and where do they start overlapping? Julie, you've hit the nail on the head that for most of the 20th century, There were two camps
0: and there were people on the one hand who said, I am very scientific, whether or not they happen to be scientists, they take as real, that which can be shown by science and what is the spirituality stuff. And over here were people who said, I am deeply spiritual, or perhaps I'm spiritual and religious. Mm-hmm. And I don't care if science can show it or not. I know it in my own heart to be true. And those were really split camps for most of the 20th century until the very end and entering into the next you know, 21st century. We started to build a beautiful, rigorous Peer review science. And this science started showing up from our lab and fellow labs in time around the country. American Journal of Psychiatry, JAMA Psychiatry, really, you know, blue ribbon, top shelf, peer review, reliable places and spaces. And we now have a strong peer review science that says, you know, science, science is a lens. And whether that's a microscope or a telescope mm-hmm. or an MRI study, (laughs) take our lens and point that onto a broad host of questions, including the impact of lived human spirituality on the rest of our lives, including Mm -hmm. the identification of those threads of lived human spiritual life that are game-changing on the rest of our lives. And we can even start to track the source or the etiology of those threads of lived human spirituality. So science and spirituality go hand in hand very much when we're talking about how spiritual life lives in a human being. So we don't point the telescope and say we've proven God or not proven God. (laughs) That said, um, what do we know? Right? What do we know? And there's a few core findings that people find absolutely shocking because we're just starting to get the science into the Mm -hmm. mainstream. And what you're doing by leading this wellness space is a beautiful platform to put the science into the hands of leaders like yourselves, healers, therapists, people who are going to really use this science to help better those who really suffer.
1: So can I give the highlights? Yes, I'm on the edge of my seat. (laughs) The first highlight
0: is that if you ask a scientist, what is the difference between spirituality and religion? Mm -hmm. The clean scientific answer is religion is 100% environmentally transmitted. It is a gift Mm -hmm. of our parents, our grandparents, our community. We might choose a faith community and then immerse in it but it is transmitted 100% environmentally. And we know that through the use of twin studies.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Spirituality is innate. Mm-hmm. Every single one of us is born with a hardwired, if you will, neuro-docking station for spiritual life. And even more specifically, the thread of lived human spiritual life, which we know to be innate, as originally identified in 1997 and 99, wow. by Hitler, is the capacity for a direct, personal, transcendent relationship. I turn to my higher power for guidance in times of difficulty. Nature is alive and guiding. My family is sacred. The lived, felt, relational spirituality in our lives Okay. We know it in the public square through the excellent work of AA. When life is Mm -hmm. too hard and I can't do it, I hand it Mm -hmm. over to my higher power. Mm -hmm. When trauma is too devastating, I have to turn to God, my higher power greater than myself. Well, we don't need to wait for that bottoming out. We are built every day of our lives, hardwired with a neuro docking station, innate to be in relationship, a transcendent relationship. Now, One-third innate, that means it's in us, but two-thirds cultivated This is this innate capacity for a transcendent relationship, which means that while this is our birthright, two-thirds, you know, as as inborn qualities go, IQ is 60% innate, temperament's 50% innate. This is innate, but we must cultivate the spiritual core. Just as we need physical fitness and you're so Mm -hmm. physical fitness for the physical core, we all need spiritual fitness or engagement for the spiritual core. One third innate, we're innately spiritual beings, but we've got to practice. We've got to give this language. We've got to, whether it's meditation or prayer, service, right action, how we know and live in the world, all of these ways of being shape the spiritual core once we're adults. When we're kids... Mm -hmm what shapes it very often is our parents and grandparents. But once we're, you know, out of the house, how we shape the spiritual core is an opportunity, an invitation, perhaps even a responsibility on our own part.
1: It's incredible. I was blown away to hear that, um, you know, that the the research and the science actually shows that we all have this innate capacity. And I love your analogy of fitness. You know, you, people listening who are doing CrossFit, you can think about, we all have the capacity to do a squat or a deadlift. But if you don't actually use that capacity and develop it, then that's when people end up, you know, in a nursing home when they need assistance, being able to get off the toilet or out of bed in the morning. So I love that that analogy. It's just whether or not we choose to or or listen to that call to develop that part of ourselves
0: well, and you're extremely, you know, capable, crossfit you know, audience might find it interesting that this exact science on spiritual fitness for the spiritual core has been used and implemented by the Pentagon for the army. So we have been to 30 posts sharing this very science and the army Mm -hmm. being data driven, very much like you, Mm -hmm. used this as a roadmap to transform and reignite and strengthen the spiritual core of our soldiers. It's phenomenal. I mean, the army kind of leads the way. They led the way mm-hmm. to the first racially integrated institution, the first to really get it on with on board with gay rights, and now they're leading the way on inclusivity around spiritual diversity.
1: It's incredible. It's incredible. I love the work that you're doing there. Well, I'd love to talk a little bit about, you know, some of your own research and how you've been able to identify the parts of the brain that are associated with this spirituality. And it seems that they're conserved across all different religions, parts of the world um, types of people. Can you share that, that study that you've done?
0: There's one spiritual brain and we all have it. Every single one of us know that, of course, there's human variability, and two thirds environmentally strengthened means that we can strengthen components. But the core components are the same. Whether I am Hindu, Muslim, Jewish, Catholic, Jain, Sikh, spiritual, but not religious, there's one spiritual brain and we all have it. So the first thing we've got to get off the table is that religious war is completely obsolete because we actually have one spiritual brain. <laughs> And we're all
1: all fighting against each other. (laughs) Why? (laughs) I mean, it makes absolutely no
0: sense. And that deep spiritual brain, we've identified the components Mm in fMRI studies. And there are three that I think your audience might find quite familiar and very powerful. Mm -hmm. The first is that every single one of us has a bonding network that came online as children in our parents' arms. This bonding network lets us feel and know that we are loved and held.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Just as we kind of think back to being loved and held in our parents' arms, when we free fall back, whether my word is God, it could be mm-hmm. universe or spirit or Jesus, what one sacred word is, mm-hmm. but we are loved and held. The second component is that we are guided. Mm-hmm. So we, in times of real concern, if we're stuck, if we're ruminating, you know, why didn't I get the job? Or why did he break up with me? Why am I fired? Why, 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 ruminate, ruminate? Mm-hmm. Well, that's a bowling alley. That's a very narrow point of fixation. And in a spiritual state, whether it's through prayer or meditation, we shift and open from a top-down dorsal to a bottom-up ventral attention network and life reanimates. And many people mm-hmm. say a whole new possibility pops. We are loved and held, we are guided. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And finally the parietal that puts in and out hard boundaries so that you have your bio body suit and I have mine and he and she and they have theirs Mm -hmm. and we have different GPS coordinates. We are a point, atomistically separate and we are part of a wave, point Mm -hmm. wave. We are part of one field of sacred consciousness, one family of life. So yes, we are distinct. And it's important to know and honor each other's uniqueness, but equally to connect with the heart and know that we also are one. We are truly mm-hmm. one. Like it's not just a nice idea at the level of consciousness, we're one wave, loved and held guided and never alone.
2: Mm-hmm. That
0: is our neuro seat of awakened awareness. Every one of us has this beautiful capacity, and it's a choice to practice, to strengthen this birthright.
1: That's beautiful. And I think I think when I relate it to CrossFit, because I think for many people, CrossFit is a very spiritual experience because of the community, because of those very reasons. And when you, when you put it in those words, it makes perfect sense. I'm loved and held, meaning I know I can walk into my gym and people are going to care about me, that they're going to be there for me, that I'm guided, that if I have a bad day or I'm finished last in the workout or... I'm struggling. They're going to be there to lift me up and help give me some, some hope and direct me along my path. And never alone, we have the community. So that's. Really, when you know, when I when I heard you explain it that way, it made perfect sense why for so many people that is what makes CrossFit so special and and keeps them engaged in it for so long.
0: That's deeply moving, Julie, because that is a faith community, that is a spiritual community
1: where mm-hmm.
0: it doesn't matter if I just walked in 40 pounds overweight or I'm the most fit one. You look at me with encouragement, with belief, with brother-sisterly love. Mm-hmm. That's, that's exactly a spiritual community. And it's not merely a transactional relationship. It is a transformational mm-hmm. relationship. So far too often in our culture, everything, I mean, I sit at a dinner party and it's where do you live and what do you do? Like I can feel that <laughs> me up, you know, that's a plus, that's a minus, you know, <laughs> right. it's how can I help? Oh, she's not going to be able to help, you know, <laughs> <laughs> right, moving on <laughs> right, right. versus transformational. I want to know you. I want to walk by you on your journey. Mm-hmm. So what you're describing as a spiritual community. What you'll love knowing is that what you're describing of CrossFit, unconditional, it's sort of a radical love, come as you are, I love Mm -hmm. and accept you and yet hope the best for you, right? That uses the same neuro docking station as when we talk to our higher power. Mm -hmm. So the same capacity for the relational spirituality I feel towards who I call God or Jesus or my higher power
2: Mm -hmm. universe.
0: Is the same felt sense of that sacredness, that love, that transcendent love in my relationship to sisters and brothers. Or I would say God's presence in my love mm-hmm. of neighbor.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: Whatever one's language is, relational spirituality is in CrossFit and it's in my relationship to life itself.
1: That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Well, let's back up for a second. I would love for you to share a little bit about your own background and upbringing with spirituality and religion, and then how you how you found yourself along this career path to studying it scientifically.
0: Well, I'll share with you that when I started out as a psychologist in 1996, I was on an inpatient unit. And it was an inpatient unit where people came for you know enormous, they were in enormous pain. Sometimes they were psychotic, they were almost always profoundly depressed. Mm-hmm. It was pre-digital. So people had manila folders kept on their mm-hmm. records. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right? And yeah, you know, I'm a new intern. I've just finished my doctoral program. I'm reading mm-hmm. these cards. And I'm like, you know what? This person was here. My new patient, you know, it's it's December. This person was here in September.
2: Mm-hmm. And they were here
0: mm-hmm. twice last year. And I'm looking through these files thinking. This person is really suffering. And I know that everyone here is sincere and smart and using the best we have, but they're not getting better. They're just mm-hmm. not better. And it seemed to me that mental health at that point, you know, really in some cases caused iatrogenic harm, which mm-hmm. is, you know, mm-hmm. you know, I go to the hospital with a broken finger and I leave with TB. I made worse in the hospital. Yeah. And in particular, what I started to do as I listened to the patient's was hear what they were saying was on their heart. One patient called me in and she said, Dr. Miller, will you come here? And it was very secret. So I came out of the hall <laughs> I stepped in the hall and she said, no, no, here, down the hall. So I walked down the hall and then it was into the kitchen and then it was to the back of the kitchen, to the pantry. Wow. The way corner with pots and pans by my head hanging in the pantry. She looked over and she said, Dr. Miller, Will you pray with me? Wow. So she had felt that her spiritual heart, her need, her felt sense that she was turning to her higher power. She was turning mm-hmm. to God. Wasn't acceptable in therapy, wasn't acceptable in the hallway and wasn't acceptable in the therapist's office. Mm-hmm. And I thought she's telling us what she needs. She's mm-hmm. telling us what her deep inner wisdom says, which is turn to God, turn to your higher power. Mm-hmm. And it was somehow verbal. So that happened over and over again in different forms and different moments. And as a clinical scientist, I thought, you know, we've got to use the language of science to understand the spiritual core and how it might unfold in renewal and resilience and recovery. And so I set to work about 96 doing this, and other labs have joined us, but there's now Mm a very strong peer review science that says, beyond a shadow of a doubt it is simply peer review fact over many articles that a strong spiritual core is indeed protective against addiction. How much so? 80% decreased relative risk of addiction if we're a standard deviation above as compared to below the mean and a tendency to say, I turn to my higher power. Nature is a sacred home, daily spiritual awareness, relational spirituality. 60% less likely to have major depression. Everyone gets depressed, Mm -hmm. downward spiral. Why? Because when we strengthen a spiritual response to suffering, the slide is not as deep. We know that suffering is a knock at the door for a deepening of spiritual life. So 60% protective. And, you know, as you're well aware as a doctor, the epidemic, really the pandemic amongst young adults, you know, People in their 20s and even 30s is not COVID. It is not cancer. It is suicide. Mm -hmm. Right now, suicide. We are at 82% decreased relative risk of completed suicide when our spiritual life is shared. Shared in CrossFit, shared in the Sangha, the Minion, Mm -hmm. the Fellowship, where we come together and openly connect in this way, unconditional love, radical, unconditional acceptance, love of neighbor.
1: Mm-hmm. It's incredible. There's no drug that will that will do that. That's for sure.
0: Exactly. So if you told me though, that there was a little pill and mm-hmm. I, you know, slip that into everyone I love's food. <laughs> <but> <laughs> this is how we're built and there's nothing. Mm-hmm. That, and, and as you know, I mean, what we do have is less than a fraction as effective when it comes wow. to relationships.
1: Can you talk a little bit about more about this this relationship between just depression and spirituality? You talk about it as a knock at the door or a calling into spirituality. And so how do you understand that from a scientific perspective? Great.
0: So we looked at people who had a very strong spiritual life but had gotten mm-hmm. there how, you know, how, how did they get there? Right. We want to know mm-hmm. gotten there over a period of years. And so we dug into their past. They were meaning mm-hmm. 26 at the time. And we said, what has gone on in the past 10 years that led you to this very strong spiritual core. And it turned out that these people who day in and day out, you know, one door closes, well, God is guiding me another way. Who are you? You are my sister. Unconditional Mm -hmm. love. They're not looking, you know, hey, you know, you got the 96. I got the 82. Hey, you have a nicer apartment than me. No, you are my (laughs) sister, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Hey, you can lift more weight than me. No, you are encouraging me and I admire you. Like this together, Mm -hmm. you know, real love and connection. Mm -hmm. Well, those Mm -hmm. folks were two and a half times more likely to have gotten there through struggle, despair, and in most cases, depression. Mm -hmm depression had been the gateway through which they spiritually deepened and awakened we thought wow well having established this strength of spiritual life what might be said in science we always want to know prospectively right yeah the people with a strong spiritual core to have formed through struggle were seventy five percent less likely to have a recurrence in the next ten years. They were seventy five percent less likely to get depressed again. They were girded, and if they were at high risk, meaning at genetic high risk or had sort of a environmental depressogenic, you know, it's always our family that gets the short end of the stick. You know, they were mm-hmm. high risk, either depressogenic thinking or genes or social, you know, social demographic factors. They were at ninety percent even wow. more protected because of a strong spiritual core. So spirituality is really a way of seeing through whatever comes once we build that sight line. Now we then said, okay, we know we published that in the American journal of psychiatry, 90% decreased relative risk of depression for high risk people over the next 10 years. So that's Incredible. <laughs> we, said, we said, okay, well, The fields had interesting, interesting, but we don't really know what to make about it. You know, the field was growing and listening and changing, but it was just, you know, that was 2012. Okay. Mm -hmm. So then we said, well, let's look at their brains. We invited these very same folks in. And what we saw is that in people to take depression as an opportunity for growth, a developmental depression and strengthen a deep sense of who they are in this life as a spiritual being on a spiritual landscape their brains look different. They Mm -hmm. had greater processing power, greater cortical thickness in regions of perception, reflection, and orientation, which is to say the parietal, precuneus, and occipital. So looking through their strong, what I would call an awakened brain, they had realized Mm -hmm. their birthright. They were neuroprotected against recurrence. And we sent that off to JAMA, blind peer review. It came mm-hmm. back. With very strong findings. We have one follow-up question, because peer review always makes it better. you know, All right. <laughs> we want to know a year from now. not, you know, 10 years from now, one year from now. What is thickening of the awakened brain, strengthening of the cortex in the regions of the awakened brain? Say about us prospectively one year from now, we ran the analyses and indeed we had lower, we saw lower symptoms of depression. Short-term, one year and over 10 years, decreased likelihood by 90% of a diagnosis amongst high-risk people. There's nothing like that in any drug on the shelf. Now, there's not mm-hmm. one drug on the shelf. Now, I'm not against drugs. If someone's in pain, do what's right between you and your doctor. Mm-hmm. But we jumpstart with SSRIs, a recovery, mm-hmm. what we found, very, very interesting, was a tendency for the brain to give off high amplitude alpha. Okay, mm. High amplitude alpha was given off both from jumpstarting recovery with SSRIs mm-hmm. and through this organic process, this hardwired body, mind, and soul process of spiritual awakening, developmental depression. The difference between these two paths of recovery is that when you take away the SSRIs, alpha went away and very mm-hmm. often people became depressed again. Okay. Between those to recover through deepening their spiritual life, whether it was meditation, prayer, asking big questions, looking into life differently, oftentimes through group fellowship, CrossFit, Sangha, those people had an enduring, longstanding tendency to maintain a spiritual stance and give off alpha. Even 10 years later, they were still giving off alpha. That's interesting because alpha... Alpha is the wavelength. Well, it goes by another name, Schumann's resonance from the mm-hmm. first thrust up one mile. Alpha, Schumann's resonance, is the wavelength of nature, of all life. The spiritually engaged brain connects with all life at that same exact wavelength, which means wow. we return to our nature and the felt sense of oneness is real. It is There is a real well, real oneness at the level
1: of consciousness that is incredible <laughs> and so beautiful just from you know just thinking about depression from a different perspective so i think so many times when we go through different phases of life as i know you you talk about you know depression is a natural experience for example the loss of a loved one or a difficult situation and being able to make sense of that and see that as a window or an opportunity for growth can change how you how you move through it i think about too even you know i heard the other day someone describing the symptoms of anxiety or the feelings you get in your body of anxiety are often the same feelings that you get with excitement but it's how you label those sometimes or how you interpret those feelings that, that depends how you move through them. So
0: yeah, that's so important. So depression, two out of three times is a developmental depression. The depression is literally the ignition. It's the felt sense of
2: oh, yesterday mm-hmm.
0: was fine. You know, same partner, same friends, same job, same schedule. It was great. And today it feels empty and not enough. Well, the not enoughness is because we are expanding. It's not that everyone out there is no longer good enough. It's that within ourselves, we are expanding to inherit a new way of being in the world. We are hungry. We are dissatisfied with our way of being. It's time to grow. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Depression is a knock at the door for spiritual growth. Now, that's important because depression is way too often seen as lost time, downtime, getting in the way of my career. <laughs> yeah. but It's actually the knock at the door for a deepening. So our whole lives will be bigger and more inspired.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I think of COVID as a great example of this, how many of us went through some sort of experience like that, that maybe was more of a knock at the door um, due to that experience.
0: Yes. And I think you're so right that in a sense, we've had a collective all across the country, mm-hmm. maybe the post-industrial world, we've had a collective developmental depression where our old way of being no longer fills the bucket. Basically, we have expanded. We've had an ego death. And everything that I might have hitched my wagon to, that was about you know, what I call achieving awareness. How am I going to get what I want? How am I going to get mm-hmm. that job? I'm going to get a raise, better partner. Um, goals, which are fine. I love goals. Goals are great, but they are alone insufficient for a meaningful life. That way of thinking, strategy, tactic, all melted down, because we really do not control a great number of variables in our lives. Life is dynamic. It's like when you push the elevator button. I don't know if it's coming in two seconds or in five <laughs> minutes. I don't know if it'll be packed or empty. I don't know if the guy in there is sneezing or if it feels healthy. Yes, yes.
1: <laughs> so, so much,
0: yeah, right. So The opportunity is not to control life and get what we want, but to shift our conversation from narrow, you know, monolithic, got to get it, having it to, hey, what is life actually showing me now? Mm -hmm. What is life revealing to me now? The synchronicities, the wonderful people like you that show up, the exciting things that I didn't know were even out there. Could we do a practice? Sure. I would love to. Okay, great. Thank you. Uh, This is a 90-second practice. Okay. I invite you to
3: close your eyes, clear out your inner life. Open up your inner chamber. I invite you to think of
0: a time where there was something you wanted. It could have been a promotion, a job, admission to a school. Him heard them saying, yes, there was something that you planned and you planned it right. That red door was yours. Research, strategize, your tactics were right. And in fairness, you went for that red door, grabbed the handle, but it was stuck. And you couldn't believe the red door was stuck because you had done everything right. Ninety nine percent research, tactics, strategy, how could that be? You may have kicked the door. You might've been shocked or angry, maybe depressed, but only because that red door was stuck. You shifted, you did a hair pin turn forty-one twenty degrees. And over there was a shining wide open
3: yellow door, through which you crossed and that yellow door did not have what you wanted. It had something better, more right for you. It has everything to do
0: with who you are today. And I invite you to think of that stuck red door, the hairpin turn and the wide open yellow door. Was there anyone on that leg of life, that hairpin turn who helped you along, encouraged you, gave you direction, information, told you a story from their own life. It could have been someone you see every week that told you something new. It could have been someone you met for two minutes
3: at the juice bar, the coffee shop. They were a trail angel. It could have been a doctor, a guide, a
0: healer, a teacher, a trail angel. And as you think now about that stuck red door, the hairpin turn, the trail angel, and that wide open yellow door that has everything to do with where you are today, how really are the most important parts of our lives formed? Is it narrowly through tactics? Are we narrowly makers of our path? Or are we to a very meaningful extent discoverers of our journey?
3: And now as you sit way back,
0: where in this road of life is your higher power? Is your higher power in the open yellow door and the stuck red door? Is your higher power in the trail angel and your capacity to be an open system and ask, what is life showing me now? What is my higher power revealing to me now that I might become?
3: And perhaps have you been a trail angel in someone else's road in this great orchestration where life is very much alive? And when you're ready, I invite you back. Ah,
1: <laughs> that is such a beautiful exercise. Um, and what I love most about it is, it is there is nothing religious about it. It is something that anyone can identify with, uh, you know, an experience in their life, that innate part of us,
0: and these meaningful trail angels, far too improbableistic to enter by chance. Mm-hmm. This loving, guiding universe in which we show up for one another, that the same neurodocking station through which we connect with life itself, the universe is the same neurodocking station through which the universe is expressed in our love and care for one another. Relational spirituality is Beautiful. essential to the journey. It's not just a nice thing. It is foundation mm-hmm. to the way, mm-hmm. as you said, whether I'm of any faith tradition or none at all, this is the deep structure of life. Mm-hmm. And we are given the gift to be able to engage the deep structure of life we can live this way and move mm-hmm. through the deep structure of life it's mm-hmm. literally more traction it's literally so many more possibilities
1: and we're we're all there to help guide each other along that path that's that's beautiful would you share some of your own story i know you've i've watched your ted talk and it was very powerful sharing your own story of going through this a time of depression and really fighting to get that red door open and then finally seeing the yellow door. Um, It was beautiful. It really, I mean, it brought me to tears. It was really beautiful to watch. So anyone listening, I would highly recommend checking that out as well. Julie, thank you for resonating
0: with that. Yes, we absolutely hit our head against a red door for years in a state of developmental depression, not able, I, I was not able to release the illusion of radical control, of monolithic achieving awareness, where you get that red door only through strategy, pushing harder, more research, better tactics. And in my case, and, and I shared it very much with my spouse, we were struggling to become parents.
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: I was about 30 when we started out. He was 31. We had no reason to think that we'd have a challenge. and. Mm-hmm. You know, we thought, oh, it's time to make a family. Even the language (laughs) right? of achieving. Mm -hmm. So uh, achieving awareness says it's time to make a family. Let's research the best way to go about this and
2: Mm -hmm.
0: planned it mechanically. And went off to the Caribbean and came back. (laughs) This is it. We're parents. Here we go. go. (laughs) After one month and there was no baby. And Mm -hmm. so we said, well... Who gets you know first try? So we went off to Sedona, a very spiritual place, came mm-hmm. back, no baby. And after about a year of thinking that we'd just naturally get pregnant when we wanted, mm-hmm. we started to have this very haunting feeling that something was wrong. And it's a mm-hmm. very, you know, this feeling almost crept up on me like a shadow from behind. It was a horrible feeling. Like, what if what if we can't get pregnant? You know? mm-hmm. You know, and he had the job he wanted, and I had the job I wanted, and everything we thought we wanted, and
2: mm-hmm.
0: it did not fill the bucket. What we really wanted at that point in our lives was to become parents. And as we, you know, ratcheted up, achieving awareness. I looked up very carefully, being a researcher, <laughs> the doctors in the northeast with the highest rates of conception. And we went there
2: and we mm-hmm. did
0: all and we ratcheted up to IVFs and still no baby. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, this really feels like you know something deeper might be wrong. But I couldn't allow myself to just trust what is life showing me now. I felt compelled because I cared so much, sticky fingers, mm-hmm. to drive forward. And I said, okay, like I do feel like life's trying to show us something that God's trying to, that's our word, God's mm-hmm. trying to do. But let's just research this a little. Let's keep
1: trying. Yeah, we've got to be <laughs> missing something. <laughs>
0: right, right. I found the team that invented in vitro using cells, <laughs> and I thought,
1: now there's that's no- the there. answer. <laughs>
0: right. We go in; they couldn't have been more lovely. They were extremely capable. They pat us on the shoulder, and I thought, I, I just had this sense in my gut that this was not about finding the better team. That for us in our journey, we were in the wrong office. But I couldn't resist. We went through with that in vitro, and my husband, being very sweet about this, was on solidarity bed rest by my side. It was mm-hmm. probably eighth or ninth in vitro, side by side. And this team was in <laughs> Philadelphia, so we, you know, planned the whole week around it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Sitting in the hotel, we'd splurge for a nice hotel. Really splurge because you know it was like a delicate moment.
2: Yeah, yeah. I
0: grabbed the remote to turn on the TV and there's only one station. Hmm. And my husband's like, how could that be? And he sort of hits the remote and he tries, there's one station. At this extremely (laughs) overpriced fancy hotel, there's one station. That doesn't happen. (laughs) It doesn't happen. And what was it? It's a interminable four-hour documentary on a little boy living in a garbage dump. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And through the translator, he says, I don't care that I live in all this trash. I don't care that I can't go to school, but it hurts so much to not be loved. Mm
2: -hmm.
3: I sniff glue to make the pain go away. And
0: I Mm -hmm. looked at my husband, and he said at first, he's like, there's a child out there for us. Mm -hmm. And it came clear to us that what parenting was was deep love and commitment. All he wanted, this little orphan was to be loved. He just wanted a mom and dad. He wanted to be loved. And here we were on the umpteenth in vitro, which for us was feeling like we were going down the wrong path.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And this continued. This continued. My mom, who's a tremendous trail angel in my life, left a message on my phone. She said, hi, honey. I just want you to know our neighbor, Rebecca Jones. She brought him the most adorable little boy, Alan Paul. He's from Russia. Just wanted to let you know. (laughs)
1: Just going to leave that here.
0: (laughs) And so we got the picture. There's a child out there for us, and still at the same time, you know. And around this time, there started to be more and more synchronicities, like Mm -hmm. the little boy.
1: Mm -hmm. And can you explain what synchronicity is for people listening if they haven't heard that term? Synchronicity is when something deep in our own experience
0: question we have, a struggle we're having, is revealed or supported by an outside external physical event. So in our case, you know, I'm struggling with this profound pain in my heart around Mm -hmm. infertility, And I hop on a New York bus. And the outside event is that this gentleman who is a quite unusual gentleman got on the bus. Mm-hmm. Walked by 20 seats of an empty bus, sat next to me on a very mm-hmm. odd day of my own. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and says, You know, lady, you look like the type of real nice lady that would go all around the world adopting kids. Wow. Okay. Now, in my <laughs> years until that point, no one had ever said that. In the many years since the bus ride, no one has ever said that. He came to me. Right after a failed in vitro, where I was in a deep despairing pain. Mm-hmm. So my inner struggle with infertility received support, guidance, a, a so-called well, some people use the word coincidence, I would say a confluence mm-hmm. far too unprobabilistic to have happened by chance.
2: Mm-hmm. But
0: it's a moment where we can, in our inner being, you know, we all have inside of ourselves at our own inner table an empiricist and a logician and an Mm -hmm. intuitive and a mystic and in our deep inner wisdom we know it is its own organic form of knowing it is every bit as much hard data as what we call outward empiricism it's a form of knowing and I knew I knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that this journey was supported that the universe was supporting me I am loved and held I am guided gentlemen, mm-hmm. like us, little boy, mm-hmm. garbage jump, synchronicity is guiding. And in this life where people show up and guide, we are never alone. We are loved, held, and guided, never alone. And synchronicity shows us the way, reveals guidance, as does intuition and mystical experiences and dreams and care for one another.
2: That's beautiful.
3: And
0: so what happened? <laughs> it got quite um, it became a very sacred journey. It became mm-hmm. a very sacred journey. So about this time, I had a feeling that this was about releasing what I call achieving awareness. Some people call it ego death, but this sense of having and getting and thinking I know air traffic control what's mm-hmm. gonna happen in my life.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I woke up one night, just boom, woke up, sat up in bed. And it was very, very moving space and time opened. I saw mm-hmm. it open. I was aware that I was seeing this, that it was real, but I wasn't confused. I didn't think like the door was opening. It wasn't. Mm-hmm. It was my deep inner wisdom saw opening of time and space and a very sacred presence came. And the presence said, if you were pregnant, how would you adopt? Mm-hmm. It was very sacred. It was very deep. It was very profound and holy. And I said, I am not there now. And the very gently, time and space closed in and it settled. It was very peaceful. And I looked over, and my sweet husband was completely out cold asleep. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Slept through the whole thing. (laughs) Right,
0: right. And so nonetheless, like I, this started to gain momentum. And I think this is how the spiritual path is, particularly when we're moving through despair and a death of narrow achieving awareness, a death of radical ego control. Mm -hmm. It heated up, it got more intense. And I got a call from my mother, I shared with you about this woman who helped find babies in Eastern Europe and Russia for families to create whole families. And I said, well, let's go, stare. We'll just go talk to her. Mm-hmm. So we go, see her, my husband by my side, you know, what a sweet guy. You know, we're sitting there. She's mm-hmm. a clergyman's daughter and she leans forward and she says, you need to let me know, very straightforward, what is it that you want in a child? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I certainly don't care what race this child is and I don't care if it's a boy or a girl, but please a child who can love, mm-hmm. who want to bond in love with this child. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. and I look over to my husband (laughs) and he says all that (laughs) girl (laughs) and I sort of put my shoulder in front of him and I'm like really a child who can love first (laughs) (laughs) most important (laughs) (laughs) right and so we get up we leave the orphanage and well this this woman who works with orphanages Mm -hmm. and who should call but my cousin, my name is Lisa Jane, and her name is Jane. She's Big Jane. I'm little Jane. Okay. Hey, little cuz. You know, she was okay. the one I always looked up to who told me sort of the straight scoop about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey little Jane. Yeah, and, and she's also kind of um teased me in a way that not many people have. You think you're so smart, Miss Columbia. <laughs> Why don't you come out here and see a real healing ceremony? Mm -hmm. The Lakota with whom she had been working, I've asked their permission and they've invited you to join the healing ceremony. And I know you've been struggling looking for your child. Mm -hmm. Very, a trial angel,
2: Mm -hmm. a very deep
0: trial angel. So I cancel my appointments. I fly from New York to uh, South Dakota. And there the chief stands up at the healing ceremony, puts his fist on his heart. Mm -hmm. He says, my son, opening the ceremony and his eyes well with deep feeling tears. My son who is adopted. And he goes on to speak of his son. Mm-hmm. The healing ceremony was extremely beautiful. Each person stood up. And after each person stood up to share why they had come, a line formed in people to encourage. It's deep, unconditional encouragement and love. The Sangha, the Ming, what you've shared about the true support that you've created in CrossFit. Right? Then we break and we go into two Anikis, the women's and the Met in the sweat lodge. And in the women's, mm-hmm. the medicine man's wife, as she introduced herself, said, why have you come? And the first woman says, I've come because my 40-year-old son is no longer coming home and I worry for the children.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And the next woman says, I've come because my 14-year-old son, he has started to use drugs and alcohol and I fear he'll be addicted. And the next woman speaks of her son we go around listening to challenges and hopes and prayers for sons. And then we get to Big Jane. And Big Jane is between, looks at me and looks at the women and says, this is my cousin, little Jane. She has come looking for her child.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: I'm wondering if we can help her. And the women look at me in the eye and say, mm, yes. And for the first time, I knew I was in the right place.
2: Mm.
0: And we prayed. And as we pray, the prayer is for every single woman in the NEP. And the prayer is for the we, the us, the group, the superordinate. And whoosh, I could see again in my mind's eye, the prayer literally go up with the
2: fire. Mm-hmm.
3: So that night, we got a call. from
0: oh. my chain <laughs> back in New York. I woke up the next morning. It had come in the night. It had come from Russia. It had Mm -hmm. come from the clergyman's daughter. We have found the Miller's child. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: We know that Mr. Miller had wanted a girl. (laughs) (laughs) Many wonderful girls, but this is the Miller's child. Mm
2: -hmm. And
0: this is a son
2: Mm -hmm.
0: praying for sons as Mm -hmm. one. Well, I felt this love like I had never felt in that. Instant, I felt this pure mm-hmm. love and become a parent. Mm-hmm. I couldn't wait. I got back. His video came, and there he was, this beautiful soul. He glowed. You know, <laughs> up around the nerves, You know, da da da. You know, little, 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 little And I just fell in love. Well, my husband watched the video. We were so grateful. You felt so grateful to God. So blessed with a miracle. Finding your spiritual child through space and time is a, is a miracle. Mm-hmm. it's a pilgrimage right mm-hmm. so we turned in and the presence came back and mm. I felt the presence approach and time and space opened and I felt the same profound sacred presence if you were pregnant now would you adopt absolutely <laughs> my spiritual son yes mm-hmm. yes and thank you thank you mm-hmm. yeah. Settled back, time and space. I look over, feels asleep. we lying in bed. We're so grateful. We're feeling very in love. And that night we conceived, naturally, his sister. Wow. Kind of a girl.
1: <laughs> kind of a girl for Mr. Miller. <laughs> <laughs> we,
0: found we found his sister. They are spiritual twins.
1: Wow. That's that the is...
0: yellow door. Yeah. That's the yellow door.
1: hmm Wow. It's not a Thank you.
0: story of becoming pregnant. It's a story about realizing
1: mm-hmm. that we have
0: loved and held and guided. And what is life showing me now? What is my higher power asking of me now? Mm-hmm. If you were pregnant now, would you adopt? There was something about, yes, finding Isaiah, but also becoming someone who knew that parenting is actually unconditional deep love and commitment.
2: Mm-hmm. So,
0: they look like me, or they like think like you know. It's this deep love, like the little boy showed showed us and taught us in in the garbage dump.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow, well, thank you so much for sharing that. It is such a beautiful story. So, for people who are looking to grow this spiritual core, you know, you through your story, it was clear that you started to pay attention to some of these synchronicities or things that were happening around you, but how else do you encourage people to build that, that muscle?
0: Well, may I share one more practice?
1: Sure. Okay,
0: this is a practice. I always like to thank the teacher who gave me okay. this. And this was a gift from the late Dr. Gary Weaver. Okay. I invite you to uh, take five breaths and clear out your inner space. Close your eyes if you'd like.
3: I invite you in your inner chamber to set before you a table. This is your table. And to your
0: table, you may invite anyone living or deceased who truly has your best interest in mind. Anybody living or deceased who truly has your best
3: interest in mind. And with them all sitting there, ask them if they love you.
0: And now you may invite your higher self, the part of you that is so much more than anything you may have or not have, anything you've done or not done, your true eternal higher self.
3: And ask you if you love you. And now finally, you may
0: invite your higher power, whatever word is yours, however you know your higher power and
3: ask if they love you. And
0: now with all of those people sitting there right now, what do they need to tell you now? What do you need to know? What do they
3: need to share with you right now? When you're ready, I'll invite you back.
0: This is your counsel, and they are always there for you. We can ask what's on our heart, depending on where we are, and
3: who shows up may change. But this is our birthright. And that deep love and relational spirituality is real. um. Wow.
1: I love these practices and this, you know, encouragement to tap into your spiritual side, to tap into your intuition, which is not something that is emphasized in our culture or in our, in many of our constructs in our society. And so I, I I guess I wonder, and I know you're doing some work on this with the army, but how would you see a world where we are nurturing not only that, Achieving brain, but also this awakened brain, this spiritual side, and nurturing it. Maybe even starting from how do we nurture this in our children to throughout the lifespan in our society.
0: So, I think you're absolutely right that this is all of ours. And when we choose to talk about this with one another, particularly in difficult times, what does your higher power say to you now? What does your deep inner wisdom mean? When we really Share this in our relationships. I think there's a strength in that love and that bond, which we will go to the map for each other. We will go Mm to the map. And this is how we are meant to bond. So, you know, as you know, as a very um, fit athlete, athletes often do tap into this deep sea Mm -hmm. knowing. Mm -hmm. You know, many, many extremely fit athletes, and we know this because they'll oftentimes outwardly speak about it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And the question is, you know, how is it that we can feel free to express our spiritual heart in, you know, our doctor's offices and boardrooms and schools and public square and parent teacher committees? And I think it's a choice. It's a choice to speak from the spiritual heart. But I think two things help us along. The first, is that we've come a good distance on inclusivity and diversity when it comes to race and gender and orientation. Well, this is a form of diversity, spiritual diversity. Mm-hmm. I want to know you and I want to share you know, about the crossing of my ancestor, or the birth of a child in mm-hmm.
2: ultimate,
0: ultimate terms. And when we can welcome pluralism, you know, whether someone's speaking from the heart, in the language of nature or life, through the language of their faith tradition, Judaism, Christianity, Islam, whatever that may be, pluralism says this is the next horizon of DEI. I want to know and love you in your own voice, in your own mm-hmm. journey. So that's the first piece. So we're welcoming each other, both feed in to our mm-hmm. relationships. The other piece is that. You know, what we know through our MRI studies is that an awakened brain is far more ethical and aligned and relational. It's also sort of quicker and more creative and innovative. Mm-hmm. So why would we want a quarter of an employee at the table? You know?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, and when we go to a doctor, we, we want someone like you. We want someone who uses all of her brain. So <laughs> <laughs> the most you know attuned, situationally aware creative mm-hmm. and accurate decisions. So you, I think that as we see, we're more innovative, we're more ethical, we're more full of grit and resilience and care. I think we want the best of each other and from each other and for each other. And that means to reintegrate the spiritual core into the whole person. I think the 20th century disintegrated the spiritual mm-hmm. core and disintegration is unhealth which brings us back to the tragic story on the inpatient unit of being asked to pray in the pantry. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's so, connect- I mean, you know, you have the mind body yes. center, but it is so connected to our physical health. I see in so many of my patients, the, you know, the true core root of a lot of their symptomatology is in that, you know, needing or searching for the, the spiritual core to be strengthened.
0: And you say it so beautifully because it is just that it is a journey. So I don't need to have the answers, but if I'm rooted in the quest,
2: Mm -hmm. there's
0: enormous resilience that comes from being able to ask tough questions. What is my purpose? Why am I being asked to do this? And then receive. A deep, numinous response of the heart through a dream, Mm -hmm. through a prayer, through a mystical experience. The connection between different forms of knowing and perception. We can literally see it in our MRI studies. We myelinate the tracks. We pave the highways between organic forms of knowing, multiple epistemologies. And we are more creative, yes, at work, but even more importantly, in our lives. What is my next leg of life? This developmental depression that we're in the sea of like, what's our next move? Where do we go from here? What's well, this mass awakening of, hey, how can we be a little, no, a lot more loving and supportive? How can we be loving, holding, and guiding using our awakened brain?
1: Mm-hmm. How can we support the development of the spiritual core in our children?
0: mm so I so The Awakened Brain is my most recent book that talks about developmental depression and this journey that mm-hmm. every teen faces. And then we face it again, mm-hmm. in midlife, and again, the third bridge crossing into elderhood. Um, it's simply how we're built. The Spiritual Child was my first book where I looked at the first two decades of life and knowing that our children are not a blank slate, knowing that our children come as knowers. Mm-hmm. And there's a one-third heritable component to spiritual life. Our most important work as parents is being the two-thirds embrace to form the spiritual core. The data is very clear. When a child is supported by his or her parents in forming a strong spiritual core, they are far less likely, 80% less likely to be addicted, Mm -hmm. to face a completed suicide, to um, struggle with Mm -hmm. Type of deep depression. But most of all, the character strengths and virtues that give our life buoyancy and success in the sense of traction towards our calling, grit, optimism, forgiveness. The character strengths and virtues all go hand in hand with spiritual awareness. I turn to God for guidance when I have a tough decision. I ask, what is life showing me now? My higher power stands by my side. This felt lived spirituality goes hand in hand with character. So Marty Seligman, who started the positive psychology movement, was my doctoral mentor and right at that Mm -hmm. time. And at that time, we didn't yet have these MRI scans. We didn't yet have these long-term clinical course studies, but now we do. And we know that character actually is sort of the beautiful outcome, but the roots. Are in deep spiritual connection? So any efforts made to strengthen our character, our grit, our optimism are going to be deeper and more longstanding when we're also strengthening and rebuilding, really strengthening the spiritual core.
1: I love that. And I've heard you say too, that if you if you also have a grandparent with a strong spiritual core, that actually increases the protection that you have which so if you're doing this yourself it's not just for you it's for your children it's for your grandchildren
0: absolutely for, there we looked at parent child and found that when the there's a transmission the torch is passed from parent mm-hmm. to child that child is 80% less likely to develop deep major depression but when the torch is passed of spiritual life from grandparent to parent to child three generations The child is 90% protected against depressions in life because the longer that a family sustains spiritual life, praying out loud, meditating, going together to serve people in need, and then explaining to the child walk the walk and talk the walk. We're Mm -hmm. here at the homeless shelter because any single one of these people could have been our child. Any Mm -hmm. single one. Everyone here is a soul on earth. Everyone here is a child of God. Give it language and give it action, walk the walk, talk the walk. Well, with three generations of that, it is so deeply rooted in the family that it's one and the same. And in fact, we hear, we have interviewed hundreds of teenagers and a story we hear very often is I used to come home from school and my grandma would greet me. Hmm. We'd sit at the kitchen table, she'd give me a snack and talk about my day and she listened. And then we'd pray, my grandma taught me to pray. So now when I think of God, it's kind of God and my grandma all rolled up into one. Mm -hmm. We've heard that story from so many young people. We are ambassadors as parents, and even more so as grandparents, we are ambassadors of spiritual life. And the child is the royal arrival, born with natural spiritual awareness, but it needs to be given name. It needs to be given a roadmap. It needs to be shown. Yes, we talk about that here. Mm A very interesting study was done where parents were asked to journal for two weeks around every discussion that they and their child had about spiritual or religious life Mm -hmm. or both. Well, in week one, as the researchers looked at these diaries, almost every conversation was started by the parent. You know, now we pray because God gave us this food. You know, now I see the sunset and I know there's so much more. You are such a blessing, you know week one. Week two, the child started most of the conversations. Why? Mm-hmm. Because the child had been shown, yes, we talk about that here. That's in our bond. That's in our family. And the mm-hmm. more it's in the family, the more deep set into every breathing moment, the child is able to see into the deeper nature of life.
1: I love that. And it's like you said, it's it's talking, walking the walk and talking the walk. It's not just... Going to church on Sunday, but it's talking about it, it's integrating it, it's doing things every single day and seeing that kind of wonder and connection in your everyday life. May I share a
0: story? I I share this. Sure. It's about exactly what you're describing. Happens between a grandparent and a grandchild. Okay. So this was what I call BC before kids. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) More time. And it was on a Sunday. I'm embarrassed saying my. You know, off to the office on a Sunday, mm-hmm. and go to the subway, the Broadway subway, and it is hot. It's August, and in New York subways, were at that point were not the most reliable, and it would rattle on by. I'm like, it didn't stop, and it's mm-hmm. hot. You know, the next one rattles on by, and after about three or four, finally a subway stops on this Sunday in hot August, mm-hmm. but it's packed, and it is packed, packed except for one car, and I think, hey. That's my car. There you go. She's really clever. <laughs> <laughs> and half the car is packed. Everyone's jammed down to one side, but half the car is wide open. I discover because there's a gentleman, a homeless man, who's getting increasingly agitated. Each person gets on. He looks at them. He says, Hey, will you sit with me? And they look at him, turn their head, and scamper to the far end, packed. Mm-hmm. Next stop, 96th Street, 103, all the way up. Each time the door opens, will you sit with me? Turn their head, go to the far end, over and over. And he's getting more and more enraged. Then he leans forward and yells down the car, do you want some of my lunch? He starts throwing his lunch down to the other end of the car. He's completely disavowed. He is not seen as a soul on earth. He is not seen as a brother or of a sister. So, This goes on and on, 125th Street, 145th Street. The doors open up, and on walks the most elegant, regal couple. It's Mm. a grandma with a white pillbox hat and white gloves, beautiful green pastel, and her little granddaughter with matching white gloves, (laughs) a little pink pastel dress. And everyone cringes because they know what's coming to this beautiful couple. And sure enough, hey, you want to sit with me? (laughs) look at each other without saying a word, nod and walk right over to him, sit down, touching side by side. And he can't believe it. And he Mm. looks incredulous. He says, hey, you want some of my lunch? Again, they look at each other, nod. No, thank you. And this goes round and round. He's seen, and he can't believe it. And I'm watching this extraordinary clarity. Not even a word was needed. They knew grandma and granddaughter what this moment meant. Now it was a Sunday and they Mm -hmm. looked lovely and I assumed they were off to church. And I, in my mind thought, what you do to the least of these, you do to me. Mm -hmm. But the words didn't need to be said because they were already known. And grandma walked the walk and I could see had talked the walk and it was down to a nod. That's who we are. We are torchbearers. We're ambassadors as parents. And even more so as grandparents, because there's no love in the world like the love of a grandparent. And when you look at the formation of the spiritual core in the child, it is 50 percent the walking the walk, the pure, unconditional, felt human love, which is actually divine love and talking that walk. So the subway story is is. What for me revealed, and I then went back to the numbers and saw it in Spain mm-hmm. the data set, mm-hmm. the intergenerational passing of the torch of spiritual life is how we form. And it's so important. In fact, I would say it is the most important gift we give our children is to be spiritual ambassadors.
1: Mm-hmm and maybe you're saving them from some suffering too, <laughs> as having to be that to be their teacher. <laughs> I mean we're all going to go through difficult times but having that spiritual core strengthened makes it, it makes it easier.
0: Yes, we find yellow doors. We know mm-hmm. to turn to our higher power, those who truly have our best interest in mind. We've developed a spiritual response to suffering. And it's there no matter what negative life events rain down on us. It actually even sets us up in times of true trauma for post-traumatic spiritual growth. We grow deeper and stronger.
1: So as we start to wrap up, I do want to touch on this contrast as you talk about the awakened brain and the achieving brain, because I think as we've talked about, so much of our culture is set up to reward and incentivize and motivate that achieving brain, whether it's in school or sports. And this is part of my own spiritual growth over the last several years is so much of my life was set up to achieve. And so as we think about developing the awakened brain... How do we balance the two? Because they're very powerful together, right? But how do we, and how do you even approach this in your own life, being someone who's very spiritually in tune, but also obviously a scientist and a mom and doing all kinds of of busy academic achieving things?
0: We need both. Exactly. We need both. We need our awakened awareness and our achieving awareness to work in tandem, and when we do, what we develop is a stance in life that I call quest. You mm-hmm. know, we go after what seems like something we want and it happens or it doesn't happen, and it opens up possibility for reflection. Hey, what is life showing me now? You know, in COVID, we went through this together. What the whole institution closed? You know, mm-hmm. what everything I planned isn't going to happen. What what is life showing me now? And what is bedrock, bottom line real. Well, love, love is bottom line real. What is bedrock? My connection with my higher power, bottom line real. Those at my table are real, right? Mm-hmm. Yellow doors are real. Uh, and so in these moments of deepening and our spiritual awareness, strengthening, if you will, our awakened brain, we go deeper into an understanding of life and its you know true nature, bedrock nature. Now, there we may find a deeper calling or an expanded purpose or a more profound way of loving people that are transformationally in our lives that we can help along or they may be helping us along or both. So both are important. Now there'll be times where there's great spiritual breakthroughs and I'm like, wow, how do I bring this back into my life? Right. Mm -hmm. What has this moment shown us with COVID about okay, how do we go back to school and set up another way of being to one another where we say, I am so grateful for you in my class this year. Mm-hmm. I am really missed you during COVID. Yeah. You know, like to really love and say it, put it out there, you know, truth. Now that way of being is right there. We want it and we can do it, you know, and then it's a matter of saying, okay, I'm going to make my classroom, my doctor's office, my boardroom a place that combines awakened awareness and achieving awareness that both matter here. All of our relationships in this office are both transformational, unconditional, and transactional. We got to get our work done in the mm-hmm. best interest of patients. Mm-hmm. But when things go wrong, we can look at it together. And we can know that we truly have each other's best interest in mind and that of the patient or the student or the client. You know, there can mm-hmm. be a deeper, fuller understanding and that's nourishing. That makes me want to go to work. And whether or not I'm good at this job and can keep this job, I love going there. And if I'm let go, I'll go elsewhere. You know, the point is mm-hmm. that the love is deeper than how we did today. And in school, teachers can look at children as souls on earth, you know, little souls f- coming into their full being the little arc is already built into them that doesn't mean everyone's good at math but can you know i, I invite you know, our, our our listeners to think of a time a teacher looked at you mm-hmm. and just loved you i mean you could have gotten an a or you could have gotten a c and she looked at you and just loved you for your very being
2: mm-hmm.
0: how that felt how that felt so great. And, you know, and yes, we probably can perform better under those conditions, of course, but we also are being more. We're not just doing more. We're being more with our short, precious lives. We're filling it out. I love
3: that. I love
0: that.
1: Well, I want to start wrapping up and there are three questions I ask at the end of the podcast. So the first one is, what are the three things that you do on a regular basis that have the biggest positive impact on your health?
0: When I get up each morning, I go outside and it could be 90 degrees or it could be 10 degrees. It could be sunny and clear. It could be pouring rain. I go outside, maybe under a shelter. (laughs) and I pray and open up the day. And I thank God, who I call God, for sun and air, for earth and water, for all living beings of the air, earth and water and beyond. And then I thank God as a mother, I feel it is our prerogative to look after our family and all the family of life. And may I live this day with your love, God, in and through me. And may I speak your love. That is how I open the day. And that starts the day. And if I miss it, which is very, very rarely, I can't think of the last time. But if I do, I am I'm am, I'm not walking on the deepest level of life mm-hmm. I'm somewhere else. In fact, I'm not really walking. I'm kind of spinning and dizzy. <laughs> yeah. Um, the second thing I do for my health is I refrain from losing my cool as much mm-hmm. as possible. That is nothing but a porthole to a dad, like chutes and ladders was this game I played as a kid, <laughs> and a quick shoot downward. So when I'm really aggravated, I walk away, I go into nature, you know, a 20 minute walk in nature entrains the brain so that mm-hmm. it functions the same as if we were in a state of prayer, alpha.
2: Mm, the end of mm-hmm.
0: sacredness in and through life. So I try not to lose my cool. I try to find a moment there to take that as a big red flag. Time to realign with the deepest sacred nature of life. Alpha,
2: go
0: mm-hmm. walk. So opening the day in prayer and gratitude to God, object of the proposition to God, not just grateful, but to God, and <laughs> walking in times of irritation and you know, renewal. And then I guess, you know, I try to call my family a lot. Mm-hmm. I call my parents, I call my kids, I, you know, um, it feels wonderful and it keeps us feeling day-to-day family
1: I love that, that connection. What is one thing that you think would have a big impact on your health, but you have a hard time implementing it or something that you're working on? Mm.
0: Yes, well, so I must confess. (laughs) (laughs) I've had a lot of confessions on this podcast. (laughs) Um, So I will say that I probably exercise half as often as I wish I did.
1: Mm. Well, that's still a <laughs> half more often than not. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> Thank you. That's great. Sorry. That's great. And what about uh, my last question is what does a healthy life look like to you? Hmm.
0: Um, close to who I call God, guided, connected, not attached to outcome, more of a discovery. Mm -hmm. And so life is this extraordinary journey full of wonder and surprises. And not every surprise feels good, but every single surprise expands our heart to be incredibly loving. Mm
1: -hmm. Beautiful. I love that. Well, this has been a wonderful conversation. I'm so grateful to you, Dr. Miller, for joining me and for sharing so much of your personal story and how that intertwines with your career and your research and the ways that you are spreading that knowledge and that research throughout the world. So, thank you for all the work that you're doing.
0: It's such a joy to be with you. I'm so grateful to be with you. And you know, you use your awakened brain every day. Expression of an awakened brain.
1: Well, we're uh, we're always strengthening it. That's for sure. Um, where can people learn more about your work or what you're doing or or follow along and support? Oh, thank you, Julie. So
0: my Instagram is a place where I try to post all sorts of talks or workshops that mm-hmm. are coming down. So it's just amperson dr dot Lisa Miller. So dr.lisa miller. And then of course we have the spirituality mind body Institute at Columbia university where we often hold open events and everyone is most welcome. We have awakened campus global. We have awakened schools, K-12 and we have all sorts of convenings. Our mission is to seed a more spiritually aware society using science convening, and bringing together people such as yourself, experts who can speak into a more spiritually aware world.
1: Wow. Well, thank you. And thank you everyone for listening. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you enjoy listening to the podcast, please consider subscribing and giving it a five-star rating on iTunes. It really does help to get the word out to more people.